Kia ora koutou. my name is Jordan Redding, I'm one of the ministers at Knox Church Dunedin and one of the chaplains at the University of Otago and I'll be leading you through uh, this Sunday's service uh, for Radio Church. We are of course in the season of Advent and so we have an Advent theme today as we look forward to Christmas. We gather in worship wherever you are. Kia noho a iwa kia koutou. the Lord be with you all. Kia inoi tātou, let us pray. He honore he kororia ki te atua, te mongarongo ki te whenua, whakaaro pai e ki ngā tangata katoa, honour and glory to you, O God, peace on earth and goodwill to all humankind. We gather in your house, wherever we are, to once more be addressed by your words of peace and to learn to walk in your way as people of peace. We give you all the honour and the glory, for in Christ you come among us, paving the way of peace. He is our hope in a world of violence. And so before you and in his name, we confess that we are a people of violence, living in a world of violence. We are violent towards ourselves, We are violent towards others, and we are violent towards our earth mother, Papatuanuku, and we are sorry. Forgive us, we pray, and by your Spirit open our ears to hear your words of peace once more, drawing us into the life of your Son Jesus, that we may walk in his ways, this day and every day. In his name we pray. Amen. Friends, wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in, the good news of Christmas is that God comes to dwell with us and in us. And so I say to you, Etefano Atkaraiti, family of Christ, God forgives us, forgive others, forgive yourself. So... As I mentioned just before, our uh, service this morning has a bit of an Advent theme, and our reading is taken not from the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, which tells the story of Jesus' birth, but from towards the end, Matthew chapter 24. And rather than talking about Jesus' coming as a baby, an infant in a manger, it talks about Jesus' coming again at the end of times. It's a rather difficult, thorny passage, uh, but we chew through it this morning. And so our reading from Matthew chapter 24. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep Awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake 
and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I said, we're in Advent, and we often think of Advent as a time of joyful expectation. At Christmas, we celebrate the Christ child coming among us, but even for those who aren't Christian, Advent is a time of waiting for Christmas Day, for the presents, the mulled wine, the gathering with family, the long summer days at the beach. There's much to look forward to. Advent is the season of waiting and watching. It's a season of hope and joy. And what better way to celebrate it than with lots of presents and family and time together. But if you just listen to our reading from Matthew's Gospel, it doesn't actually really fit with that theme of joyful expectation, does it? The reading takes place, as I mentioned before, just before Jesus' death. And it's part of what's known as Matthew's Little Apocalypse, a sermon by Jesus, in which Jesus talks about his impending death, his coming again, and of the final judgment of God. And as you heard, the imagery is rather terrifying and dark. It's passages like this that lay the foundation for rapture theology. I'm not sure if you're familiar with rapture theology. It's the idea that God's judgment will come like the great flood destroying the earth and all its inhabitants, but that God will take away the righteous remnant, this chosen few, like an alien abduction. Rapture theology is bizarre, and at times it's dangerous. But you can see how it's a possible reading from our passage today. It's hard to get away from the fact that Matthew likens Jesus' coming among us to an apocalyptic judgment, on human evil and violence, which is comparable to the great flood in which we find the story of Noah's Ark. The story of the flood is perhaps one of the most well-known stories of Scripture. Even most people who have never been to church know the story of Noah's Ark. We love to tell it at Sunday school, albeit in a very sanitised way with cuddly animals and which leaves out all the drowning and the death. But it's a horrible story, isn't it? As the story goes, the world is so consumed by evil and violence that God is sorry for ever making it. And so God resolves to destroy everything by a massive flood. Humans and animals alike, who knows why the animals get thrown into the judgment. Except, of course, for this righteous remnant, Noah and his family and two animals of every kind. A fat lot of use uh, that saving the remnant did too, because we continue to live in a world plagued by violence, war and unnecessary suffering. Apparently the righteous remnant weren't as righteous as we may have supposed. For these readings, uh, for these reasons, sorry, a literal reading of Noah's flood is problematic. It's part of the prehistory in Genesis. 
This prehistory contains stories and parables within Jewish mythology that grapple, wrestle with the questions of the origins of life, the origins of evil, and the created purpose of human beings. And as such, not as literal events, but as story, the story of the great flood in Noah's Ark can continue to offer much for our time. Indeed, when I read the story of the Great Flood this week, it took on renewed and quite literal meaning for me in our age of climate crisis today. As I mentioned, um, we are in a climate crisis. This story is dark. I'd like to draw your attention to uh, the Christmas appeal of of Christian World Service this year, which is all about supporting communities on the front line of climate change. And while some of these communities are suffering from a sustained lack of water, others are facing apocalyptic floods. Consider, for instance, Pakistan and the stories uh, that were over our news headlines earlier in the year. Or consider the cataclysmic storms that the Pacific Islands face every year with increasing frequency. In some of the Pacific Islands, especially the Atoll Nations, rising sea levels are salinating their limited fresh water supplies, meaning they have too much and too little water at the same time. I couldn't help but thinking that, in a sense, this is the story of Noah's flood played out in our time, is it not? Except that in the story of the great flood, it's not the righteous, it is the righteous that survive, but in our day of climate crisis, It's not the righteous that survive. Those who have contributed the least to our climate crisis are typically the ones most affected by its adverse effects. At last, this is finally being recognised. At the recent COP27 in Egypt, it was agreed that a loss and damage response fund would be created Wealthy nations of the global north, which includes New Zealand, are going to contribute to this fund so that support can be made available to the nations of the global south most affected by climate change. It's a step in the right direction. And yet, while the 1.5 degree target was affirmed in principle, COP27 failed to implement a clear plan that would get us there. The wealthy nations failed to commit. Much of the commentary that I've read summarises COP27 as the global north offering with one hand, while with the other it continues to take away. In light of all this, our reading from Matthew takes on scarily prophetic meaning. We're told that people will continue with business as usual, eating, drinking, being merry, blissfully unaware of the coming flood, until it's too late. We need to be careful here. In no way would we want to suggest that God is somehow the cause behind the suffering. We know that as Christians, we at times have a shameful history. 
of claiming natural disasters as a judgment of God over human society, or typically a small discriminated against minority. And yet, there is a sense in which our current climate crisis is a judgment, a judgment on unchecked human greed and violence, the imperialistic abuse of the global north over the global south, unbridled economic growth at the expense of natural limits. We are, in a very real way, reaping what we sow, and in that sense, this is a judgment. There's good news, though. We are in Advent and we are coming towards Christmas, and thankfully Scripture does not leave us here with this picture of doom and gloom. It is not the extent of the judgment, at least from God's perspective. God does not abandon us to our reap-what-you-sow fate. Because, of course, we know that the story of the great flood in Noah's Ark does not end with just destruction, but with the rainbow, the promise that God will never, ever again abandon us to our fate, that God is committed to another way and will not give us over to death and violence. And so into our violent world, we hear at Christmas time again and again of the coming of this enigmatic son of man who comes on the clouds of heaven. The son of man image is one of the most frequent titles used to describe Jesus in the New Testament. And the title is taken from the Old Testament, specifically from the prophet Daniel. The Son of Man figure comes on the clouds of heaven, and this coming of the Son of Man describes God's judgment on the earth and the establishment of God's new righteous reign of justice and peace. I know for some, especially in my church community, that the Son of Man language is distractingly and unhelpfully masculine. It would be more accurate to describe the Son of Man as one who is like a human being, one who takes on human form. The Son of Man isn't to do with the person's manness, but to do with their humanness. And it stands in contrast to the four great beasts in Daniel's prophecy. The four beasts symbolize earthly empires. So the lion. The lion symbolizes the Babylonian empire. The bear. The bear symbolizes the Median empire. The leopard symbolizes the Persians. And the fourth beast, a fantastical beast with ten horns, like something out of Harry Potter, symbolizes the Seleucid Greek Empire. It's a prophecy in Daniel of God's righteous reign coming to topple and overturn the violent imperialistic empires of our world. I wonder, do we have empires Today, at the risk of getting too political, we might add the Russian bear, the American eagle, the Chinese panda, 
Fortunately, the New Zealand Kiwi is not a particularly ominous symbol for an empire. But if you were part of the uh, flag debate a few years ago, you might remember the laser Kiwi flag, which suggests that the Kiwi is not quite as harmless as we might otherwise think. And we, of course, have our own history of imperialism in this country. We're not as innocent as we think. And so into this world of bestial empires and structural violence fueled by unbridled greed comes one like a human being among us. If the beasts of the empire represent our basest instincts, the survival of the fittest, the dog-eat-dog world we live in, then the son of man represents in Daniel a vision for all that God intends for flourishing human life together. In other words, we human beings are called to be more than competitors, more than beasts fighting for our own survival. We are called to be fully and wonderfully human, to build community of justice, righteousness and peace for all, to beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and to forget the ways of war, as Isaiah might put it. In other words, the Son of Man is a personification of us human beings finding our humanity again. Of we human beings finding our commitment to one another, to the common good and to the flourishing of life for all, including our earth. Matthew and the early church were very quick to see this biblical vision of the Son of Man coming to sharp focus in the person of Jesus Christ. Hence why we see the Son of Man applied to Jesus in the New Testament. And as the church, we are a people being formed by this person of Jesus, the one who comes among us as a helpless child, as a son with a peaceful heart, hearing time and again his words of peace and learning week by week, step by step, to walk his way of peace in a violent world. It seems to me that it's precisely in these apocalyptic times, in the times of biblical floods and apocalyptic storms and pointless wars, that the urgency of Christ's coming among us comes to renewed expression. You and I, we are called to look for the common humanity among us and to invest our lives in the pursuit of righteousness and peace for all. I have a couple of final thoughts. In response to Christ's coming among us, the prevailing question that Matthew leaves us with in our reading today is, how then shall we live? And that's the prevailing question for Advent too. For Matthew, the defining characteristic of the church is being alert, watchful, vigilant, being awake. 
In other words, being a Christian is not first and foremost about having this special knowledge that no one else has, about believing the right things. In fact, Matthew explicitly tells us that there's a limit to what we know. We won't know the day or time of Christ's coming, so let's not even try to guess when it will be. Not even Christ knows that, we're told. I wonder if Matthew's calling us to a bit of humility. We do not have an exclusive claim to some secret knowledge that others lack. But we are learning to wake up. We are learning to look for signs of God's coming among us. We're told that he will come like a thief in the night, so be alert, watchful, mindful. Mindful. In recent times, society has discovered the importance of mindfulness, of being alert and attentive to the present, of focusing our breathing and calming ourselves. The trend of mindfulness reflects the fact that we are often so distracted with technology constantly demanding our attention. I guess the irony is that radio is a type of technology. We're constantly wired, numbing ourselves with content that we get out of touch with how we're feeling. And this disconnect leads us to all manner of mental unhealth and instability. And so mindfulness today is popular because it's fulfilling that need to reconnect with ourselves and with our bodies. However, I want to suggest that Matthew's call to be alert and awake is more than just mindfulness. It's more than merely discovering peace within ourselves. It's a call to awaken to God's coming peace birthing among us. God's peace birthing within us, God's peace birthing around and above and beneath us. In short, it's a call to prayer, a call to be converted time and again to God's reign of peace. And this call to peace is not just a call to be content with the way things are, it's a call to justice, a call to be outraged discontented with the state of affairs in our world, a call to challenge the bestial powers that be, a call to be rehumanized again and again and again, to turn towards God and faith and to others in love and service. And so that's really all I wanted to offer for you on the second Sunday of Advent, wherever you find yourself. Just before I sign off, I'd like to remind you again of Christian World Service who do their Christmas appeal every year. And this year the theme is Let Hope Flow, looking to support frontline communities suffering from the effects of climate change. It's a worthy cause and I strongly uh, recommend them to you. Each week they provide us with a short prayer. And so uh, I read this prayer for you uh, as a way of concluding our time together. Kia inoi tato, let us pray. God of hope and newness of life, may we notice the signs of your presence in all of creation. Give us courage to offer hope to our world 
in word and in action. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So have a good week and whatever Christmas brings for you, may it be a time of peace and joy and hope and love. You've been listening to Radio Church. My name is Jordan Redding, uh, the minister at Knox Church and chaplain at the University of Otago. It's been a pleasure to spend this Sunday morning with you. Kia tau kia tātou katoa, te atawhai o tau tātoa riki a ihu karaiti, me te aroha o te atua, me te whiwhingatahitanga ki te wairu e tapu. Ake, 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 amine, go in peace.